it's kind of weird, you know, um, Sunday mornings, I get going at quarter of six, 5.45, my alarm goes off, and I'm running on pure caffeine. And uh, this is the moment where I feel best. Isn't that weird? Like when I'm standing right here, um, just able to talk to you about Jesus, those are some of the best moments of my life. So what a joy it is to be able to speak to you every Sunday. I'd like to, if you would, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2. And um, there is a Bible app event for this that can be helpful to you. If you have the Bible app on your phone, click a little menu, look for an event near you, you should find our event near you. We're starting a new series today. And the series is a sermon about how we journey through life. And as you journey along, you almost always have in mind a destination, an end. I mean, very few of us just go out and get in our car and just start going without thinking, I'm going to go up to the park, or I'm going to go to the store, or I'm going to go see grandma and grandpa. We almost always have a destination in mind. And in life, you want to have a destination in mind as well. In fact, I'm sure most of you do have a destination in mind. But I want to ask you, do you ever get sidetracked from that? Do you ever find yourself like, okay, I'm, I'm cruising along, I'm doing good, I know where I'm going, spiritually speaking, I have that in my, in my heart and in my mind, and then you find yourself maybe on a side street instead. Getting sidetracked, it's a, it's a human issue, we all do it, I find myself easily sidetracked. Maybe I'm sitting at my computer getting ready to start writing a sermon and somebody sends me a video of an excavator that's buried in mud. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And, and you know what? Some of those are over an hour long. Don't ask me how I know that. Um, but I will be stuck there, not just the excavator. I will be stuck there uh, trying to figure out how they're going to get that thing out of the mud. And the bottom line is I just got sidetracked during that time. It's not always bad. It's not always a big deal. It's kind of part of life. But when you get spiritually sidetracked, that can be a big deal. And that's probably something you want to give your attention to is those moments that you're spiritually sidetracked or you find yourself getting on a side road, getting off of the road that you're supposed to be on. In a series that we're going to have, I'm going to have five sermons and I'm going to give you the titles of them in just a moment and then we'll begin with the first one. But what, what they are is they're actually five dangerous streets that Christians can find themselves on. And these five streets that we're talking about, they came to my mind as I was reading a book by a gentleman named Jay Stringer. It was a book that tries to teach Christians how to avoid unwanted behavior. Think of that phrase for a minute, unwanted behavior. Now, when I say unwanted behavior, when I think of it, I think of one unwanted behavior as any behavior that you as a Christian wish you could stop because you're a Christian. Stuff that you just, I wish I wasn't doing this. And it can range from something like, I just watched too many excavators being pulled out of the mud to something more serious like, I hate my neighbor's guts. And I know I'm not supposed to do that. And I hate it that I hate my neighbor's guts, but I just can't stop it. You ever have any of that in your life? As a Christian, any unwanted behavior? You keep doing what you don't want to do? How do you manage unwanted behavior in your own life? Often we give each other what I think of as uh, non-functional remedies, okay? I, I read a thing about someone who's having trouble c- controlling their tongue. And the, the advice that the author said is, put a post-it note on your phone so every time you answer it, it reminds you to speak graciously. I don't know that that's a functional remedy for me. <laughs> it might help on the outside a little bit, but there's stuff going on on the inside. Here's another, and this is a little controversial that I'm going to say this, but I feel like often accountability groups, which were all the rage over the past couple decades, they can be non-functional remedies to the kind of thing we're talking about. 
accountability groups with no teeth. Like when you say, okay, yeah, I was watching stuff online that no Christian should be watching online. And just, you know, I told God, and I'm really sorry. And his accountability group says like, oh man, yeah, I'm glad you prayed about that. What's to make him stop? And we know, that's not really that functional, is it? And, and then so we say, well, let's give it some teeth. Hey, you watch that again, I'm going to tell your wife. Well, yeah, then I'm never telling you I watched it again, right? It, it's kind of like those, those remedies kind of remind me a little bit of a skit that was on Mad TV years ago with Bob Newhart. You know Bob Newhart? <laughs> Do you know the skit I'm going to talk about? Some of you are nodding. It's called Stop It. And I'll tell you, I, I would show it to you if we had a license to do that. Um, you could look it up if you'd like, not during the sermon, but you can look it up on Google. Just just look up Bob Newhart, stop it. It's a Newhart Collins skits. And, and what happens in, in there is she says, I have this fear. I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. And he's a psychiatrist, psychologist, and he's he's going to help her. And after she unloads this, he says, okay, I'm going to give you two words. They're, 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 they're simple words. I want to say these two words to you. And, and I want you to take these out and implement them in your daily life. She's like, well, should I write them down? Should I write them down? He's like, yeah, no, no, you don't need to write them down. Most people can remember. But if that makes you comfortable, go ahead. She's sitting there with her pen in hand, ready. He says, okay, two words. Are you ready? Yeah. Stop it. She goes, what? What? What did you say? He said, stop it. And she says, that, that's it? Stop it? Yes, two words. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. And it gets hilarious because what it does is it shows to you the absurdity, the absurdity of someone who's dealing with a deep-seated issue in their life, the absurdity of just saying, cut it out. Stop it. Those shallow, surfacy remedies do not take care of Deeply ingrained, unwanted behavior, particularly sin. Particularly sin. In the weeks ahead, I hope to speak to you of these five streets that, if you're not careful, you can get lost on. And and I'm going to give them really corny names. Okay, these are really corny names. And this is a really corny statement. That's because it's Halloween and there's candied corn. Wow, that was just as corny as the corny names are going to be. Okay, but here's the first one. The first of the five streets I'm calling the entitlement interstate. Here's why. An interstate really isn't a side street that you might get off the path and wander down. And that's what all five of these are. They're kind of side streets. You're thinking, I don't think an interstate is a side street, but this this area of entitlement, maybe it used to be a side street, but it has grown so much that they've had to add two, four, six, eight lanes to it because so many people are on this side street and it stretches for miles and miles. It's an interstate. It's the entitlement interstate. And it's a side street where unwanted behavior often crosses right into your lane, right into your heart. Let me, let me give you a second example or a second street rather. This one's called escapism extension. I warned you, they're corny names, okay? Escapism extension. When, uh, is this true of you? When you begin to feel overwhelmed, when life is pretty taxing, when there's a lot of stress in your life, when you're feeling like life is unmanageable, when you're dealing with some kind of anxiety, are you tempted to find ways to escape? I just want to run away from that. I want to get out of that. And the, the escapism is almost always rooted in a desire to escape responsibility. And that's a problem. 
Because when you have these responsibilities weighing down on you and you run away from them, I'd like to tell you they all just go away and everything's good, but they don't. They get heavier, the burdens get heavier, and you're running away from them and you find yourself on this, on this extension down the street and, and, and there suddenly unwanted behavior perks up in your life. And you're like, uh-oh, this isn't what I wanted down here. The third sermon, the third side street, has maybe a little better better title. It's not quite as corny as the others. It's Intrigue Intersection. Adam and Eve, they were standing at an intersection when the serpent was speaking to them. And, and isn't there a sense of intrigue in the serpent's words? Like, did God really tell you? You will not surely die. Really? I won't surely die? Ooh, forbidden fruit. It's intriguing. It is alluring. Even if you're reared in a Christian environment, especially, so it seems, if you've been raised in a Christian environment, intrigue is a powerful attraction in a form of forbidden fruit. It is. And when it's present, you're standing at an intersection, one of the roads leading to unwanted behavior. Here's the fourth sermon title, The Futility Roundabout. I used to hate roundabouts, so I traveled internationally, they are really slick, but a lot of people hate them because you feel like you're just going around in circles. That's not a bad title. The futility roundabout. And we're not going anywhere. We just, and it's like the roundabout you can find yourself on, spiritually speaking, doesn't seem to have any exits or any reason. And you're like, I am just going through the motions and my life has no meaning and I can't get off of this cycle. And, and there's no really constructive purpose. And I don't know, I'm just going with the flow. And almost always when you go with the flow, unless it's the flow of the spirit of God, Almost always, unwanted behavior is going to ensue. One more. The control corner. Control corner. You've heard the labels, right? She is so controlling. Or, that guy's a control freak. (laughs) Control. It's almost always based in fear. Did you ever think of that? I kind of wonder if some of the more controlling people I know are some of the more frightened people that I know. And on the highway, fearful drivers, you know, that really fearful, timid driver, is almost as dangerous as the fearless drivers are. And when you're filled with fear, you're not really trusting. You're not really living by faith. And unwanted behavior is probably just just bound to corner you. Okay. Those are pretty lame street names, but I'm hoping it'll help you remember them. I said to Laurel, look at those street names. They're terrible. She said, you're right. They are. <laughs> and, and then she said, but you know what? That might help him remember them. That's my hope that you'll be able to remember them. Um, today, we're going to talk about the first one. We're going to talk about the entitlement interstate today. And I want to spend a moment. We're going to get to that. Did I tell you to open your Bibles to Philippians 2? Honest, we're going to get there. But let me, just, let me just talk a little bit about what I mean when I speak of entitlement. Generally, we never use that word of, of ourselves. Like, I just feel like I'm really entitled because we know it's not a good kind of word. In fact, we are like every generation before us. We use the word entitled of the upcoming generation, right? So you hear today people saying, well, that generation X, that generation Y, Z, and then whatever's after Z. They're just a bunch of spoiled, entitled people. Do you know, I just want to tell you, those of you that might be generation X, Y, Z, millennials, whatever you are, post-millennials, whatever you are, I just want to, I want to warm your heart for a minute to say every generation has done that. Every generation has looked at the younger generation. My parents did it to me. Their parents did it to them. In fact, the BBC has an article. Listen to the title of it. 
proof that people have always complained about young adults, and they have stuff going clear back 2,000 years from quotes where people are doing it. I read one to my wife. It was from the early 17, or mid-1700s, just before our nation was born. And as I read it, she said, you're not going to read that, are you? And I said, no, I'm not going to read it. One of the reasons she said that is it's just too relevant. It's exactly what people are saying today, that we always look at the younger generation and say, they're so entitled. But let me say this with clarity. Struggling with the entitlement interstate is not just a young person's problem. It is a human problem. It is all of us that struggle with that. I saw it one time when I was a youth pastor at a church camp. I was never a youth pastor. I was a young pastor. Let me say that sentence again. I saw it one time when I was a young pastor at a church camp. The church leadership, the camp leadership, was making some really hard decisions on how to keep the camp alive because it was in a time of transition and they were concerned about this. And some of the people at the camp through the years, as they saw these changes happening, they became concerned about what was going on. And that's good to be concerned. We were all concerned about that. And so there's this big meeting where a bunch of people were present and they were kind of get, it was a question and answer session. And I happened to be there at that time. And I remember this one gentleman, he he stood up and, and he said something like this, look, I have been giving my offering to this camp since I was a little boy. So here's what I think we should do. And then he said what he thought. He expressed his opinion. It was Reverend Doug Conley who responded lovingly to that gentleman. And I don't recall his exact words at all. But this is kind of what I I heard him say. In the kingdom, you give your time, you give your work, you give your energy, You give your money, you give your heart for the sake of Christ. It's not a club where you're paying dues so that you can have a vote or you can have a say. When you're giving in the kingdom, it is a sacrificial gift. And when you give it, whatever you give for the sake of Christ, you let it go. (laughs) You're relinquishing control over it. Because otherwise you're not giving, you're paying. You are not entitled, and I am not entitled, to certain benefits in the kingdom that I'll receive. And someone else who maybe didn't give like I gave or work like I work, they don't get those benefits. Jesus tells whole parables about that. It really struck me as a young pastor, as a young man, When Conley said that, it stuck with me. And it helped me look into my own heart and see, whoa, I do have a sense of entitlement. And I really need to distance myself from that. I think everyone struggles with entitlement. We struggle to stay off of the entitlement interstate. And and really, you know, I'm I'm a chaplain for the Pennsylvania State Police. One of the station um, captains was talking to me and, uh, or station commander, I should say, was talking to me several years ago. And uh, he was telling me he's going to go to Ohio. I said, oh, cool, you're going out 80. And he laughed. And this is what he said. You can take what he said however you want to. He said, when I work, I have to be on Interstate 80. When I am not working, I work as hard as I can to stay off of Interstate 80, <laughs> right? And the reason was, he said, that's a dangerous place. Likewise, I would say to you that the entitlement interstate is a dangerous place for you and me to be. It's dangerous because it distracts me from my concern regarding other people. And 
God wants me to be concerned about others. It's an important part of being a Christ follower. But when I'm entitled, well, I, I deserve, I get, there's no concern in my heart for other people. It's dangerous because it blinds me to living responsibly. And, and I'm, I am actually called to live responsibly. I am called to live well and, and to take my responsibility seriously. But entitlement will say, I don't need to do that. I did that. Let someone else do it. It's dangerous because, frankly, entitlement makes me miserable. And when I'm miserable, I'm not fit to be around anyone. Just check with my wife on that. She'll tell you. I kind of wonder if the Irish playwright, George Bernard Shaw, was thinking about the entitlement interstate when he wrote these words. I'll put them on the screen for you. This is the true joy of life, being used up for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Ha, what a great quote. That boy had a way with words. You cannot find joy in life if you're on the entitlement interstate. Now, God's word tells us how to avoid the entitlement interstate. The apostle Paul, now is when we're getting to Philippians 2, that passage you opened to about 15 minutes ago. Now we're going to talk about it. I'll put some of it on the screen, but if you want to see it all, you might want to have your Bibles or your Bible app available. The apostle Paul speaks of this in Philippians 2. He uses Jesus kind of as an example for us to keep us from getting sidetracked on side roads. And the first thing that kind of sticks out to me about this passage is that we should live a life of thanks for what we have received. Thankfulness, I would say this to you, is poison for entitlement. It kills entitlement. And being thankful can move you off the entitlement interstate. In chapter 2, in the first verse, the Apostle Paul kind of has a list going here. He, He says this, he says, Therefore, if you have, number one, any encouragement from being united with Christ. If, number two, any comfort from his love. If, number three, any common sharing in the spirit. If, number four, any tenderness. And, number five, compassion. In other words, if you've received anything worth anything at all, then be thankful. Show it by the way you live. Act like you've received it. He says in verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You don't find cooperative spirit out on the entitlement highway. You You find drivers filled with a desire for what they believe they're entitled to and nothing else. You find people who are who are wanting to take what they want. And no one's really thankful on the entitlement highway. No one is satisfied with what they have. Entitled people keep wanting more, and they want more, and they want more. And that is unwanted behavior. And a way to deal with that unwanted behavior, which you don't want that behavior from me. You don't want that behavior from yourself. You want to deal with it. (laughs) You deal with entitlement by being thankful for what you've received. And you live a life of thanks along that line. As we continue in Philippians 2, you're going to see that it's really important to value others 
and to value them highly. This can be hard because you know my, my little saying that I say, I just don't understand the humans. <laughs> For some reason, God loves those humans. I don't, I don't know why he does. They make me crazy, right? That kind of outlook is maybe a little bit comical, but it's not real healthy for me. When, when I'm reading this, I, I see that those who are on the entitlement highway, they really don't value others. They kind of have a, a motto that says, I, me, mine. Someone should write a song about that. Oh, the Beatles already did, right? <laughs> if you want to have an I, me, mine selfish heart, you were born with it. You got it. But if you find that behavior to be repulsive in others and in yourself, then take a look at verse 3 where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider or value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Are you having trouble staying off the entitlement interstate? Well, then do verse 3. Value others highly. It's not natural to do that. But it's really essential that you do that because if you don't value others highly, you will value yourself highly and you will be finding yourself dealing with a lot of unwanted behavior. Value others above yourself. Perhaps the best counsel that this passage gives us, it's all good counsel, but the best is in verse 5 where he says to have the mindset of Christ. He says, in relationship, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he kind of tells us what that looks like. First of all, don't use what you have and who you are selfishly. Jesus didn't. Verse 6 says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Okay, so Jesus is entitled to all the privileges that come with being God. He is God. But he didn't use those entitlements to his own advantage. He used those to your advantage, to my advantage, to our advantage. How beautiful is that? Getting off the entitlement interstate means having that kind of mind that says, I am going to look at what I have, what I've been given, and being thankful for that and caring about other people and valuing them, I am going to use what I have to their advantage. And I'm going to act with humility. In verse 7 it says, rather, Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Let me just go back and give you some theology 101. Jesus is God in the flesh. God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is Son, fully God, fully man. He is divine. He is the one who existed before the cosmos existed. He is the one who the cosmos exists because he said so. He spoke it into existence. He is God. He, he understands the laws of physics because he wrote the laws of physics. He even understands... He understands everything. You get the point? You get the point? And he decides, I'm going to be a little baby. I'm going to be born in Bethlehem. I'm going to live this life to become like them, to be with them, to rescue them. I will be made in human likeness. But that wasn't enough. In verse 8, it says, And being made, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on the cross. No one humbled him. He humbled himself. 
No one beat him up. No one forced him. He intentionally humbled himself. And when you act in humility, it's awful hard to feel entitled. They just kind of don't go together at all. I feel like that if living a life of thankfulness is poison to the entitlement uh, mentality and, and valuing others is damaging to the entitlement mentality, I feel like having the mind of Christ, that's a nuclear option. It really changes everything. It changes everything. When you have the mind of Christ, then you keep your eyes on the prize. That's how, really, that's how you stay off side streets, right? Do you remember when you first started driving? And maybe some of you still have this problem. I've watched you. Do you remember when you first started driving, you'd be driving down the road and you'd look over there at that house and something happened? Do you remember that? It's like, I'm looking, whoa, I'm off the road. Yeah, right, right. I have a car that beeps at me when I get off the road. I don't even bother to play music anymore. That thing just beeps and beeps and beeps. When you keep your eyes on the prize, you stay on the road that you need to be on and you don't get on a side street. As a result, verse 9 says of Jesus, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. Why? Because he kept his eyes on a prize. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, I know that Jesus' exaltation being spoken of there is for him and him alone. He's God. I'm not God. God's never going to exalt me the way he exalts his son. God the Father will not exalt God, will not... God the Father will not exalt me the way God the Father is exalting God the Son at the end of the age, but God does reward his followers. Keep your eyes on the prize. I've told you before. I want one reward. I just want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't feel like I need anything else. That's what I want to hear. And when you keep your eyes on a prize, you avoid, you avoid the entitlement interstate. You avoid unwanted behavior. When you keep your, one more, when you keep your eyes on a prize, you recognize the holiness of the gift that's been given you. This is really an important one. I I did something I hate to do in a sermon. I said one more, because when someone says one more, they say finally, some of you check out like, oh, good, we're almost done. It's 20 till 12. I'm keeping you here whether I'm done or not till 12 o'clock. Just kidding. Please don't check out because this is a really good one. If you want to stay off the entitlement interstate, recognize the holiness of what God has given you. Look at verse 12. It says in verse 12, therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, thinking people hear those words, And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought our salvation was a gift from God. I thought it was by grace that we are saved through faith. This was not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what in the world does the apostle Paul write that for to the Ephesians? But to the Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. What Paul's saying there, I believe, is that you must recognize the magnificence of the great salvation you have been given. You were given this salvation by a holy God who is as far above you, more further above you, more further above you, sorry, English teacher George. 
You were given this salvation by a God who is so far above you that it makes you and an amoeba look like twins. You were not entitled to this salvation. You did not deserve this salvation. You were destined for wrath, the scripture says. But you have been given the costliest, the most precious, the holiest, the most magnificent, the greatest, the most supreme gift imaginable, the the holiest gift ever conceived, the life of God poured out for you on a cross. Recognize the holiness of the gift you've, uh, you've received. That's how you work it out. You live it out. Live like you understand the worth of your salvation. I had a buddy one time, and I was just concerned. He was, he was a pastor's kid, but I was concerned that he'd never placed his trust in Christ and Christ alone. So I drew something that I draw all the time called the bridge illustration, an illustration of, of salvation, and I showed it to him, and he said, eh, I guess that's something we need to be reminded of now and again. Reminded of? Reminded of? It is a centerpiece of your life. Recognize the holiness of the gift you have received. For it is God, verse 13 says, who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's a way to avoid unwanted behavior. This isn't post-it notes on your phone. This isn't an accountability group that you can lie to. This is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. How are you doing with these things? I thought about making up one of those silly little BuzzFeed things like, are you the kind of person that gets mad when someone takes the last cookie? Maybe you have a problem with entitlement, you know, but I really I didn't feel like doing that. I didn't have the time to do that. But are you? Do you have trouble with entitlement? Like when you see someone that you love, someone who loves you, you see a brother or sister in Christ and they're not doing something you expected them to do. It's not a big deal, but it just kind of makes you mad. Or that person, have you watched the new Dodge Ram commercials? They're not Dodge, the Ram truck commercials. Have you seen the ones where they say, what kind of person drives a Ram? You know, it's that uncle that has a, who takes uh, Thanksgiving Day football in the backyard too seriously and he's got the mouthpiece in because he's going to be punching his nephews when they're playing football. Have you seen that commercial? There's this one that made me laugh so hard. It says, Dodge Rams are for the uncle that takes, takes uh, backyard football too seriously. Therefore, this person or for that person and the last person says, and it's for your mom who sits in the passenger side and says over and over again, leaves are changing. Leaves are changing. That person makes me crazy. <laughs> I'm entitled to her not saying that because I find it annoying. No, I'm not. Maybe those little things that make you crazy aren't a sign of their problem. Maybe it's a sign of entitlement in your life. I'm entitled to kind of peace and quiet here. I'm entitled to have a church family where everyone else is doing work and I don't have to. I'm entitled to get out of here by noon. I'm entitled. What, what, what is it? What, what is it? Are you on the entitlement interstate? The only way off it is through Christ. He knows how to set you free from it. He died so you could be free from it. If anyone was ever entitled, it was Jesus. He was, is, and always will be God. 
He's entitled, but he did not leverage that entitlement of his godhood. He used it for us. Are you leveraging the things that you have for yourself or for others? He's perfect without sin. He's entitled, but he did not He did not let that keep him from dirtying himself with our sin and shame so he could take them to the cross and dispose of them. He's entitled. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We as Christians do that. And when we do that, when we really do bow our knee and acknowledge his lordship, that is what takes us off the entitlement interstate. I don't know if there's something in your life that is maintaining you, keeping you on an interstate, but you can get off it this morning. Maybe you just need to apologize. Jesus, I have had sort of an aloofness. Is that a word, English teacher, aloofness? I'm making it one anyway. Maybe you need to apologize. Jesus, I have been aloof. I have felt entitled. I felt like I deserved stuff, and I've been sitting here just mad about things. I am sorry that I've been on this entitlement interstate. Would you please forgive me? Maybe you need to do that. You probably need to let him drive. (laughs) Um, Isn't there a country music song, Jesus Take the Wheel? Can we sing that next week? (laughs) Drew says no. (laughs) Probably get him to sing I, Me, Mine before I get him to sing that. Maybe you need to surrender control of the vehicle to him in order to get off this dangerous highway. That's what sanctification is. Christ, our sanctifier, when we yield control to him and say, I can't quit thinking this way. Would you help me? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you just need to ask him to help you. Jesus, please help me to follow Philippians chapter 2, the example we just read about. And help me to do the things that we just spoke about. Help me to be thankful and to value others and to have a mindset that's like yours, acting with humility and keeping my eyes on a prize and recognizing the value of what I've been given. Help me do that. I'm not sure what you need. Um, I've worked through what I needed when I read the sermon this week. I just want to pray that you'd be able to work through whatever it is that you need if you find yourself on this stretch of highway, off the main course, on this side street that is packed with countless people as well. Let's get away from it. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together, and I'd like to pray with you. Let's bow our hearts together. So Jesus, we come before you, and we do see, many of us, I'm sure, do see elements of an entitlement mindset inside of us. And we want to let go of that. So the first thing that we want to do is just say thank you for the life and the good things in life that we have received. Thank you for uniting us with Christ, those of us who believe. Thank you for the comfort that comes from his love. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit and allowing us to share in him. Thank you for your tenderness and your compassion. Would you, please make, would you please make our hearts, hearts that value others, even the humans that make us crazy?
Help us to stop doing things out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. Help us in humility to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but looking to theirs. Help us have your mindset, Jesus, that we would not consider who we are or what we have as an advantage to be leveraged for our own advancement, but that we would be willing to make ourselves less and that we would be willing to humbly, to humbly look to others. Keep our eyes on this prize, Jesus. Burn into our awareness that one day we will bow before you and that we might live in such a way that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us recognize the supremacy, the holiness, the awesomeness, the greatness the excellence of the gift that you have given us so that in living our lives, we are continually working out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is such an awesome salvation. How would anyone ever escape if they were to neglect such a great salvation? May it be you, Holy Spirit, who works in us to will and to act in order that you might fulfill your great purpose. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.